Hello and welcome to Off The Record episode 2.3. This week is going to be a little different and we're going to do episodes like this from time to time. I've been kind of working on up to this and I'm really excited that I have gotten some great contributions to this episode. So what we're going to do is we're going to talk about band robberies. We've sat down with some bands who've had the misfortune of being robbed, including Direct Hit, Go Deep, Have Mercy, White Ears, The Menzingers, and A Great Big Pile of Leaves. We've talked to them, figured out some correlations in their story, and we're going to let you hear from them. And we're going to talk about band robberies and how we can end this plague that's really been hurting all the bands that we really love these days that no one seems to be safe from. I hope you'll stick around, listen to their stories, and listen up on what we can do to make this go away. One of the things that became very apparent when doing this episode is that fans and other musicians, when they see that a band has been robbed, tend to go, well, how could you do that? That was dumb. What a dumb idea. Didn't you think of this? Didn't you think of that? Didn't you think of this? And most of the time they did. It's just that when you're tired and you're beaten down and you're dehydrated and not getting good sleep, it tends to be that you just let one stupid detail go. In fact, oftentimes you didn't even let a detail go. You're doing what everybody else does, and it's just a bad incident. Here's Tommy from the Menzingers proving that point. Van was locked, uh, and so we were were very, very close. We were within eye eye shot of the van, but uh, it all happened very quickly. We, you know, we would never in a million years, normally before that, uh, since then and after, would leave that substantial amount of money unattended on the front seat of the van. The fact is, you're always in this van. You're fatigued. We all know we let things slip up in time. I'm going to let Tyler Susie of a great big pile of leaves talk about this. When you're on tour, you kind of spend most of your time in the van. That's like the one place that feels safe to you. That's that's kind of home. That's where you spend most of your waking hours. When you're at a hotel, you're just kind of sleeping. When you're at the venue or whatever. You often want a small break from being in that van that's not always so comfortable for a little while. But sadly, that seems to be that small break that usually lets things like this happen. Here's Chris Steele of Go Deep talking about how their van got robbed. It takes no time. And it's... It's such a bummer because it's just so, such a stupid thing. And when you're on tour, like, I think it's easy for people that don't tour to be like, well, just never leave the van. Yeah. Yeah. Like, when you are in the van for 10 hours a day, dehydrated, yeah, arrested. Like, <laughs> and then you go to a restaurant, you want to go to a restaurant. You don't want to get the food for takeout and then eat in the van. But we parked the van, like, on a corner. It's actually uh, Wicker Park in Chicago, which is yeah. a nice area. Yeah, very. And, uh, you know, it was like 73 degrees out. It was beautiful. Everyone was outside running around. You know, we parked in a very visible corner. And we went and ate Chicago Diner. We were gone, I don't know, I guess an hour and a half, two hours. And came back and the van was gone. It was just like unbelievable. For whatever reason, we let it go, you know, th- 3 p.m., in this nice area, we thought it would be okay. And the question at, at this point is always, uh, well, did someone know that we were a band? Yeah, uh, stickers in the van? No, 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 definitely not. I mean, if you peeked in, you would definitely see, you would see that there was equipment, you know? Yeah, but that's but, uh, unavoidable. 
Yeah, yeah, without like super dark tint. Chris is on to something here. Every band we talk to, for the most part, while they're like, yes, we could have been more careful, the reoccurring theme here is this is just part of, sadly, this lifestyle, and there's just not enough security for bands to keep this easily safe. One of the distinctions I've learned while listening through all these interviews and making this episode is that there's two real types of robberies. There's the one where all the equipment's gone and everything goes. And then another one where a window gets smashed in and a little bit of stuff gets taken. The window getting smashed in seems to be much more common than the equipment and everything you have is gone. One of the bands that I know personally has been doing tours without buses for longer than most bands is my friends in the Menzingers. And they have a sad reality to show when you think about a band that's touring in a van all the time. Here's Tommy from the band to tell you about it. In the States, we've been broken into probably four or five times in the States, or in North America, mostly in Montreal. Uh, We had a window smashed in New York. We had a window smashed in Philly. Both of the, when the New York, the drummer captain were sinking, uh, saw the guy do it, chased him down the street. And Philly, the van was empty. Uh, But in Montreal, we had a bag stolen with iPod and personal effects. And then another time, there was nothing in the van. So they, they just threw papers and shit around. While this can seem like not a big deal, a band like the Menzingers had $10,000 stolen from them while they were mid-tour in Europe. And with that, a ton of other personal effects that can make a really, really big difference. Basically, we had parked downtown. Uh, We just played an amazing show. And somebody smashed in one of the windows to open the van, just took all the bags that were on the front seat, took off. And in England, everything is on, all public is is basically on CCTV. There's CCTVs everywhere. Where so you can, they don't have the same uh, approach to you know uh, the Bill of Rights or, or, or this privacy of their citizenry as, as we do in the states. But unfortunately for us, the CCTVs, they the police said they were not good enough to identify people, or they were too shady, or they weren't pointed correctly at the time. And we had to drive overnight. We lost basically all the money that we had for an already good chunk of that tour. And the, I didn't have my bag in the front; my bag was in the back, and I keep my passport and uh, other things on my person at all times. So I didn't have to. To go through the ordeal that the other guys had to go through where they had we had to go overnight to london to the embassy to get an emergency temporary passport and the whole thing was a nightmare and it was just really it can be traumatizing in the sense that it really shakes you down and you don't feel safe passports money and equipment could all be bought again sadly what can't be bought again though is when you lose things that are really precious like demos here's tyler susie talking about what great big pile of leaves lost he lost Computer. He lost his hard drive, which had demos for the next record on it. But it gets even worse when you're in Go Deep situation. They had come back from recording in California and had all their equipment, not only just for touring, but for recording, as well as the recordings of the record with them when they were robbed. So we, we toured out. Uh, we were actually away from home for like six months, six to seven months. Uh, we toured out to L.A., stayed in L.A. for three months, lived in the van, wrote the record, recorded it, and then left and toured home. And we toured through Canada on the way back. As soon as we got out of Canada, went to Chicago, and then that was a week out from the end of our, like, big journey. And that's where that happened. You know, we had been recording, so we had nine guitars rather than just, like, the two guitars, you know, that a band would have. I'm, like, super paranoid. I was paranoid about that the whole time, you know, especially, like, I think specifically just my new guitar. Mm. And, uh, you know, Danny was pretty paranoid because of his uh, hard drives. And 
we we were living in the van for three months and we had everything that we owned practically so you know we lost you know all those stupid extra things that you you forget that you bought five years ago that's annoying you know when, when you lose your headphones you're like oh annoying i've spent forty dollars when you lose every single one of those things you really feel it you know on top of your instruments i had just paid off a brand new guitar you know brand it was like two thousand dollar guitar oh. so it was like it was really brutal on the other end of the spectrum you know danny we had lost stuff that we had recorded so that was like a kind of bigger loss to us you know we had just recorded the go deep record mm -hmm. we had mixes and masters for three songs vocal tracks for the entire record um albeit some were rough but you know, somewhere like the take and feedback tracks for everything for the whole record. And we lost all that and we had to redo it all, which is just, you know, annoying. But so about what portion of the record did you lose? I mean, we had to start from scratch for mixing, which was, mm -hmm. you know, <laughs> was a thing. Yeah, that was a that was a thing. And then uh, vocal record uh, vocal tracks. And then uh, there's there's a, an acoustic like one take that we set up and, and we recorded in L.A. Uh, and we were we were pretty happy with it, and that we lost. That was like for me, I was I was pretty bummed about that. But uh, really, the worst was Danny had his project that has you know has yet to see the light of day, and it was his kind of like solo project, and he uh, had been working on it for like six years, tracking you know slowly tracking, writing, doing the, the vocals. He played everything on it. Uh, and it was like kind of this like massive, beautiful sounding record, and he lost the whole fucking thing because it was on like three hard drives, yeah. and they took all the hard drives. And while losing these things, I don't want to diminish the fact that when you lose all your equipment, you're going to feel absolutely defeated and like there's no way you can recover. The band direct hit lost absolutely everything when they were robbed, and Nick from the band explains this phones and our wallets and that was pretty much it like everything else had been taken we all had laptops that got taken all of our equipment all of our cash that was in it it was basically i mean when it came down to it it was close to like twenty five thousand thirty thousand dollars worth of stuff with the van included i mean we owed money for the merch that we had fronted from our print shop at home we had no idea how we were going to pay that back it was a total destruction of everything we didn't think that we were going to be able to be a band anymore after that so what happens when you get your van robbed the first thing you might think about is calling the police but as almost all the bads explain your first instinct is actually just hoping that the van got towed we thought that we had parked illegally and so we called like around to a bunch of different towing places first to make sure that the van hadn't been towed eventually we just kind of said there's no way that could be anything except it was stolen like there was a coat hanger on the ground and that was kind of our clue so then after that you have the pleasure of calling the police Cops were of no help. They basically told us your stuff's gone and there's probably nothing that we're going to be able to do about it. We called the police. When they actually got to the scene, they didn't really care. Honestly. The police do basically nothing. You know, they have, I think, more more opinions than anything. They just tell you all the things that you did wrong and they, you know, make their comments and actually did not help us a single bit. The one thing that actually helped us was social media. They were kind of like, yeah, like, 
if this stuff shows up, like, we'll give you a call. Right. Right. So we, we called the cops. Basically, we got a run around for about four hours. So we were just standing outside the van with it like this for like four hours. Uh, one of the guys had to run back because the venue was closing and kind of load everything out on the sidewalk so we could get it figured out. Cops never came. Basically, one cop told us, like, they had serious stuff that didn't really help us. One cop said that we had to drive it to them for them to look at it. And then another cop was trying to say that uh, basically uh, my mom's name is on the registration. And so he was saying he was supposed to drive it even though I'm as an owner. So it's it just turned into this thing where like even the cops in Chicago weren't being very helpful and one of them was even trying to say like like turn this robbery into something where like we're legally not even allowed to drive the van. Turned out not to be the case. Someone someone called us, like, we had, we loaded up the van, and we kind of just left. Uh, we, we used, like, a, a bass drum head cardboard sleeve to cover up the window. And we ended up getting a phone call from someone someone at the Chicago Police Department. She was apologizing and saying, like, basically calling out whoever else we had talked to earlier in the night, saying that it was kind of like... And that was everybody we've interviewed, all talking about what a great time they had with the police. Oh, wait. There was one instance where the police did seem to be pretty good. It was all, the whole thing was really shady. The police who showed up at the scene were really, really kind. And, uh, you know, once again, being in England where the police are really nice and everybody is, uh, spoke English, it, was, it wasn't as bad as it, as it could have been. But Tom puts it well there. At the end of the day, you're thinking about how bad it could have been unless you're direct hit who just loses absolutely everything. Sad fact is, is people always wonder why bands don't rely on the police or insurance or things like this. But what you're about to hear is that every one of these systems that your parents or mature people say should work for you don't work when you're a band. Unfortunately, the auto insurance system, just like the health insurance, is totally rigged against you and they will do anything they can to make sure they don't pay because they don't want to give you that money that you've been paying into their con of a system. Here's Nick from Direct Hit. First thing that we did was we called all of our insurance companies. Insurance was an absolute nightmare to deal with. I called my homeowner's insurance. I, I had like a $10,000 stolen property allowance or something like that. And the first thing the guy asked was, was this for personal or business use? And I said, well, what does that mean? And he said, well, were you making any money? When you play in a band, that's kind of a loaded thing. Nobody makes money playing in a band. You're taking in money, but it's it, it immediately goes back into your gas tank and stuff like that and for buying food and being able to cover like the odd hotel room when you can't find some place to sleep. And so I was like, well, yeah, but we weren't, I mean, it wasn't like I was making a profit. I think we each got, we're supposed to get like a hundred bucks at the end of that tour. But that was the amount of money that we were making for 10 days of work. Like as soon as I said it, he was like, no, can't cover you. What do you mean, man? And he was like, well, I mean, you're covered for like your personal belongings, but not for anything that has to do with like your business. And I was like, well, it's not really my business. It's it's me driving around the country with my friends playing music and having fun. Like it has nothing to do with how I make my living. And he was like, nope, if you're making money on it, it's professional use. We can't cover you. So I was like, fuck killed and that's what happened basically to everybody like they all got just got caught like by underwriters asking really like specific questions that you don't really know the answer to but as soon as they get a yes or a no to the right question then they they write you off and don't cover you the car insurance that we had sent us a check for like 250 dollars i mean that was almost it was like adding insult to injury almost to send you that tiny of an amount or something like that but of course my my ever sensitive parents the first thing they said well you should have gotten better insurance it's it's absolutely unaffordable for a band like ours to be able to afford insurance like that when we looked into it to be able to have that kind of coverage for 
I mean, we need probably between merch and cash and everything like that. We need probably $40,000 worth of coverage when we're out on tour. I mean, and we're driving around into different places and we're not playing very secure venues a lot of the time. And we're playing in bad neighborhoods. And I mean, insurance carriers charge a premium for that shit. I mean, when some of the plans that we were looking at were crazy, it was like $1,200 for like a two week tour. Unless you have people with money backing you up to be able to cover that kind of stuff for you. It's just, it's impossible for as an independent DIY band to be able to pay for that. Here's Brian from Have Mercy. So yeah, we, we had insurance on the trailer, something was damaged. We had insurance on our van, so they offered to replace anything that was inside the van, but nothing that was in the trailer. After anything on the trailer insurance, immediately corrected that, but they weren't going to cover anything. I mean, they would would have covered our clothes that were inside our van, but it just didn't make sense for us to even file for that. And here's Pat from Light Ears. Our car insurance, I looked into if they could help us out, but like, I obviously got the cheapest thing I could for our van, just already broke. But uh, we have a few, we have a idea to get like, uh, like instrument insurance, like our insurance on our gear. That's the lovely seven in the back. I got a lot of our friends got like, I saw that Foxing band movie, their entire rig got stolen. So, like, oh, yeah. if something like that happened to us, we'd be like, fine. You know, I, don't, I can't afford to buy it. Oh, yeah. And you know what? We're not even done with how bad the police are when they try to take care of this. We called the cops, and it took the cops, like, a good two and a half hours or two hours to make it over to us. It was a really long time before the cops showed up. I mean, we couldn't really do anything. Like, the cops asked us when they showed up, like, why we waited so long to call the incident in. Dealing with the Detroit Police Department was just an absolutely fucking nightmarish experience. First of all, we couldn't get a hold. They they didn't know whether to put our case in their organized crime division or whether to put it in stolen property division. I should say that was Nick from Direct Hit again. And what he just talked about with the organized crime is something we're going to get into in a minute. But first, I want you to hear just how bad all these bands have it with the police. Here's Brian from Have Mercy again. Didn't really care. Honestly, they just took down reports and then went on their day. The news and stuff cared more about it than the actual cops because they were trying to come and interview us. And Chris from Go Deep. You know, the police come by, oh, the van's been stolen, blah, blah, blah. You know, they bring us to the precinct and we fill out paperwork and then they put us in touch with a detective for the next day. We talk to the detective and they just seem completely clueless. It was really strange, but we were coming up with all the ideas of how to find stuff. You know, they had like one idea that was just the obvious thing they apply to every situation. And then for us, we were like, well, let's try this, let's try this. And they were just not responsive at all, almost like they didn't have the time. And we, with the amount of stuff that we had lost, we were just, it's like disheartening. You know, you you lose so much and then the police don't give a shit and then you just kind of accept that. And that's a pretty tough thing to accept. The one bit of helpful advice the police gave that you should know if this ever happens to you or any of your friends is to look at all the trash cans around the scene and any dumpsters. There was called the police let us borrow their flashlights so that we can search all the trash receptacles within a couple block radius to try to find. Because we figured they might open the bags, take the money, and then ditch the bags and the passports might still be in the bags. We kind of like walked around the the few blocks, tried, tried to see if they had ditched anything, ditched the bags. But the sad thing here is you're basically on your own. The police aren't going to do any of the work unless you're going to do some work. But we do have some instances of that doing a lot of good for these bands. 
Steve, our, our bass player, had like he had a GNL bass that he really didn't want to lose because he had put a lot of work into it. Every day, Steve would go on the internet and he would search for that G, that specific GNL bass. A couple of days after New Year's, Steve called me and was like, "I found my bass on the internet on eBay." And he was freaking out. Instantly, we called like the eBay user that was selling and say, "Hey, you're stolen. You're selling a stolen bass. We need to get that back." And in the meantime, here's a list of all of our gear. If you have any of the rest of it, like if they dropped it off in a group, you should let us know. The guy wrote back and said, yeah, like we can give you your base back. That's that's yours and whatever. And um, we have an, like the same person that dropped your base off also dropped off a snare drum and a guitar amp. We have his ID. We have him on surveillance footage, all that other kind of stuff. The thing is that we had to buy our stuff back from the pawn shop in Detroit. Like have to reimburse them for what they paid for it. And then it's your job to go and sue the people who stole your stuff to be able to get the money back that you had to spend on buying your own equipment back. There's no recompense for for victims in that situation. Steve went and called all of the guitar centers around Detroit and told them we just found a lot of our stolen gear and had them fax over like the ID footage and like if you have anybody that's matched this ID sold you stuff he's probably selling our gear too. And so we tracked down one of the guitars to the guitar to a guitar center too. So we had the guy who was selling all this stuff on two different surveillance cameras and he had used his ID twice. And so that's when we started calling the police and telling them like we have this dude like he has the rest of our gear in some house somewhere in Detroit. Here's Chris from Go Deep talking about what they did and how it helped lead to them getting their van back. You know, so we just started working on our own on our own time, you know, and Tumblr post and Facebook post got reposted so many times that it just got around to where someone posted it and that person happened to drive by the van on their way home from work. You know, Joe, actually Joe Lifeline Records, a friend of mine, Paul, called us and was like, hey, uh, my buddy's looking at your van right now. Whew, thank God we're trying to get some positivity in this podcast. But that is the thing is the only positivity that is usually in this story comes from either your own due diligence or the greatest thing on earth, the help of fellow punks across the internet. Sadly, once the police get involved again, it doesn't go so well. They supposedly, you know, were registering like, oh, okay, this vehicle has been found. And then later we find out that, uh, no, that was never put in. It's still marked as stolen. So we're driving (laughs) this vehicle around that's marked as stolen. So we go to the police station, tell them, hey, you guys have this marked as stolen. We have it. We found it. You did nothing. And then we did all the paperwork again, and it is still marked as stolen. Oh, God. Like, so later, like, we were in Chicago for a few days trying to find our stuff. Two, three days later, we found out that it still had just never been fixed. So, to you know, to this day, it's very possible that Chicago still thinks our van has been stolen and never recovered. So it became like comedic how unhelpful they were. And that is the thing is it really isn't the cops who usually get it back right there. Go deep story. I imagine is a story that's more the exception, not the rule, but have mercy at a pretty common occurrence where really it's your tour manager's due diligence of hitting up all the pawn shops, all the guitar centers, etc., to make sure that somebody can't make a quick buck on this when they're looking to get drug money. Yeah, our tour manager actually emailed our centers in the local area, told them like our gear list, and said like, "Hey, this is what we're missing. You see it? Let us know." They ended up having a guy like two hours after uh, we noticed it was gone, trying to sell it at a guitar center in Rochester. So they cops came, there was one press charges. We said, "Of course," and that was it. 
But if it's your personal belongings that are stolen, like your license or your passports when you're in another country like the Menzingers, it's just going to mean you're probably going to have to go through a really hellish experience like this. We touched on a point before, though, that I'd like to go back to. Just as there's two types of robberies, these robberies are also usually committed by two different types of people. Yeah, people get desperate. There's junkies and, and thieves who will steal bags on seats, and there's the type of people who are more organized. In the Menzingers case, Tom has a theory that this was a much more organized thing, what was happening to the bands at the venue that they got robbed at. played at a place called Moho Live, which is now defunct. Um, and three or four bands got robbed in the same two-month window in a similar situation to us from playing the venue. I personally feel that we were set up by the uh, security staff there, outside security staff. I have no way to, 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 to prove that, obviously, but it's just there's really shady, and it was too coincidental that it happened everybody in the same scenario. But yeah, it's like a racket. You have uh, people have instruments, and they're, they're high value. Uh, they're not easy to trace. People who sell and buy instruments are usually musicians who are closer to the, uh, you know, we'll say poverty line normally and can, are constantly selling. I mean, my entire life I was selling and buying instruments based off of if I needed money at the time. And uh, so that's their, their, uh, something that's easy to steal. It's like some of our friends in Montreal tell us that there'll be lookouts with walkie-talkies, and that's how they rob a lot of the bands. Wow. Now, if you don't know, Tom, you could say that's a pretty paranoid thing. But the fact is, this is a musician who collects travel stories all around the country. It turns out this is pretty factual, as you'll hear from this story from Direct Hit. Because the way that thieves operate a lot of the time in Detroit is where somebody will steal the van and then drop it off at somebody else's house. And then that person will unload all of the stuff out of the van and then put it in their basement. And then somebody else will come and pick the gear up and then sell it to pawn shops and get rid of it. You can't pin a crime like that just on one person. It's broken up into a bunch of different minor infractions between four or five people. And so for a while, we didn't even have a detective like assigned to our case. Like we knew where half of our gear was. It was just the other half of it was in some warehouse somewhere or in somebody's basement or something. And there we didn't have any police support to go after it. Obviously, the insurance companies weren't going after it either because they hadn't paid us any money it wasn't their problem anymore like two or three months after the case they didn't even have somebody working it even though we had a person on an id that we could tell them like this is the person that knows where our stuff is send somebody over eventually when we did get a detective assigned to the case we started calling them for like updates and stuff like that. First of all, their voicemail system wasn't working, so we couldn't leave messages anywhere. Nobody knew, I mean, for a little while, nobody knew who the detective was that we were supposed to be talking to. And then half of the time, the police officers that we were dealing with didn't even have cell phones. Like they were telling us that the entire police department is just operating on CB radio most of the time. They don't use phones at all. It, it was like dealing with like the clown division at a circus. It wasn't until like we got to the very end of the process, they finally got a got a warrant to search this guy's house and kind of, and they found so much shit in the guy's house he had drum sets he had guitars he had amps i mean it was just basically an entire warehouse of just stolen stuff and he had all of our stuff in his basement eventually when like when we started dealing with the undercover police who like do stuff like that like they wouldn't even give us their full names when we started working with those folks once they had actually found it then it went really quick and that was awesome like all those folks were really working the streets and finding our stuff for us and getting it back and keeping it those people were all awesome like we started getting phone calls from them all the time updating us on where all that kind of stuff was but it really took a good five months of constant phone calling and anger and like frustration to finally get somebody to find all of our stuff and we still didn't get everything back and that's the real thing here. 
is that this is a complex system. In a lot of time, I myself have been like, God, why can't they just catch these people? But the good thing that's coming through is that seems like it might start to become more of a real thing. And that's part of why we're doing this episode, is that we need to figure out how these van robberies stop and what bands could do about it. After a break, we're going to come back and talk about that. trying a little something different here for our ads on Off The Record, and what we're doing is we're going to start premiering some songs from some bands. The first one up is a band called Stories of Living. They're a New Jersey pop-punk band that just put out their debut LP on Standby Records. I am near and dear to the project since I produced this record, along with my co-producer Mike Ottinger, and it's a great fun summer pop-punk record, and we're going to premiere a song called Don't Lose Your Dinosaur. Find out more about the band, you can go to ourbandissol.com or you can find them on all the streaming services, iTunes, etc.
So to start off on a shiny note, back in the day, and even as much as 10 years ago, a lot of the time if a band got robbed, the label would just pay for everything and get them back on the road. And this can happen in rare instances when you're on a super, super big indie. But that's just not the case with the smaller punk bands or bands on the rise. I can remember a lot of the bands I would record, the label would help out and buy them a new van or something like that just to keep them out promoting. And I would even be a part of labels who did that. But there's just not room for that funding the music business today. Thankfully, what it sounds like is the fans have taken that place. And that's one of the only uplifting parts of the story is how general fans have been with their money. Here's Chris from Go Deep on how the internet responded to their van's theft. We actually recovered like a pretty amazing amount. I mean, I think close to like 10 grand. You know, we were not expecting that and it and people donated equipment to us as well, you know, that we we are still using. That was like a, a really amazing thing, you know, so. And Tom May from the Menzingers. Yeah, bank, yeah, Banquet Records donated a whole bunch of money to us. We just had a PayPal donation button set up. People like from all over the country and people that we hadn't spoken to in years donated all of the money back to us almost. So we within within a few days, we had to turn it off because we were afraid that uh, we were going to get too much money. The response was overwhelming. It was crazy. And it was, it was really wild to see names of people that, that's one thing that's great about this scene people have always propped each other up since the beginning that we were in it and i consider think it'll still do still carry on that way seeing names on the donation list that we had people we hadn't spoken to in years and who first started to see us when we went out and play and that was just a really you know that was a, a gut-wrenching in a good way kind of experience you know, all of our financial responsibilities we just had no money <laughs> jesus if we yeah if we if people didn't we did but we definitely did talk about it like whether you know asking for handouts was too big of a deal we didn't think that we would get that much money we thought it would be just a way to help us get through the rest of the tour but we were able to pretty much to re-get pat from light years has a nice way of looking at it yeah amazingly uh you know we just tweeted like oh this sucks and tons of people just started uh retweeting it and like sending us donations via paypal and other bands it was really awesome like we recovered like a lot of you know money to reimburse ourselves for stuff that we had lost and it came close and it was just crazy that the amount of people that helped out did because uh, you know, I don't know if any other teen or whatever would have done that. Like, if, you know, Sturb got robbed with the new metal community together, donate money to them for, you know, it was really cool. And that is great. One of the great silver linings there always is, is that the punk community can be there for you to help out. And we see this, whether it's GoFundMes for people's health. But I think that's the thing, is we shouldn't accept this as a standard thing that fans of music are going to have to get the burn of. We need to solve this because, yes, these bands never really recover everything, and it's something that just keeps happening. We should be spending our money on other things to support them to get further ahead, not to recover when they're set back. I like to think of this a lot like what happened with the healthcare system is Obamacare is a great step forward for people, but it's not far enough and we need to go further than this. One of the things that doing these interviews made me realize is the press is open to it. Just listen to what Have Mercy said about this. The news and stuff cared more about it than the actual cops because they were trying to come and interview us. I have no idea how they how they contacted us, but a program manager was like, oh, if you want ABC to come out and interview us, if there's one thing the media loves to cover way, way, way too much, it's crime. There's that old saying that if you watch the nightly news, you would think that you live in the most crime-ridden society that has ever happened when crime is actually at an all-time low. 
And one of the things that's taking crime down is technology. And there are some great pieces of technology that can help stop van robberies. And part of this, sadly, right now is going to be education. Is bands need to know that there is a new piece of technology that can be used to help prevent this. Here's Tom May. DeWalt, the lock, the tool company, makes something called these GPS mobile locks. Uh, they're expensive. They're like 200 bucks. You could activate them with your smartphone, and uh, that's how you could, if your trailer or van gets stolen, you can track it immediately. And there's been a couple cases where people have tra- yeah, tracked them down already. Tom's right. A musician named Zane Williams posted a video on Facebook about how they used this DeWalt mobile lock to make sure they recovered their trailer when it got stolen recently. This is the thing. Technology like this has needed to happen for a long time, but it's not always going to lead to everyone being safer. One of the things we have to do is we have to pressure the media to tell this story so that when the certain band gets robbed, they have this lock already, and then the police actually take it seriously by it being on the news. The news often pressures police departments to act on the crime that they're ignoring because they have so many holes to plug or they're just plain lazy and incompetent as we've heard in some of these stories. Part of that is going to be if you live in some of the cities that are hotbed for van thefts, you need to get organized and start pressuring the local media and your police departments to take this seriously as well as club owners. You could also band together and get these locks if you want bands to not avoid your city. It seems like places like St. Louis are already in danger of losing bands wanting to tour there from what I've been hearing from bands because it's just so common that your van is at least going to have its windows smashed in. We talked to these bands about what cities commonly get robbed as well as we created a chart which you can find in the show notes at offtherecord.fm if you want to see the cities where these robberies are commonly occurring in the past few years. Yeah, um... I mean, we got robbed in Chicago, and literally the same night we got robbed, on the other side of town, another band, I think they're set off, I think it was, got robbed the exact same night. Mm-hmm. Oh, wow. Chicago is definitely, like, a red flag. I know, like, the people at the venue, like, they'll recommend, like, places to go to parks that aren't as susceptible to get broken into. We also got broken into in Seattle, and that was oh, wow. crazy. Like, it was just, it was the middle of the day, and then we were just kind of being tourists down by the Pike Place Market, and we were gone out of our van for an hour, and someone had broken into it. So those two, I would say, keep an eye out. Um, I've always heard St. Louis. We've never had an issue, but I told us to, like, keep our eyes peeled, and St. Louis was kind of rough. So that's another one I've always heard. But, uh, yeah, I mean, you just kind of have to be vigilant, I guess, these days, because it happens all the time. Uh, yeah, Manchester in general is definitely, like, you, you know, it's a, it has a reputation for being, uh, it's a northern uh, industrial city. It's a, a little bit rougher. It's like, it's like London or any major city. It's like Philadelphia with the reputation of people getting gear stolen. Or, it's not like Montreal, but, uh, yeah, and so several other bands, the same exact, so some American, some English, the same exact MO had happened to them in the same area right after they had all played the same venue. And, you know, the venue is, is burnt down, actually. Unfortunately, someone died when it burned down. It was really really terrible story montreal is definitely the place where you're gonna get your shit stolen as a advice to younger bands just don't even stay in the city just stay outside the city drive overnight do whatever you gotta do because uh it's just everybody just gets broken into there but you know if you park in the wrong place in philly it's really just any large major city you know you have to worry about it but the stories you most hear guitars and shit like that being stolen in philly people getting broken into in new york you know it's never happened to us or our friends in chicago I don't know if uh, Los Angeles is so spread out and I think people, so many people live there that, you know, isn't as big of a thing, but really, yeah, those are the cities where we're most worried. Then Detroit, you know, anywhere that has the 
uh, people are desperate. We had a lot of desperate people. Uh, they're going to have a lot of crime. In Montreal, there's a racket. They say it's the uh, biker gangs that are there. There's a famous story among crew people that Iggy Pop had something stolen and then uh, Hell's Angels and Detroit helped him get it back from the Montreal people. I don't know how true that is. But but the fact is, this can happen in any city. And you're going to know best and hear about it when it happens in your city. But the reason I wanted to identify these cities that it happens the most and are reputable is that is where we can start to get change to happen. Because wherever there's an epidemic and these things are regularly happening, there's a city council or a media that will want to know about this and help make businesses safer and make these things more prosperous. And they will perhaps even help out and get these locks for bands to have while they stay overnight, as well as getting the local police to be more diligent about actually handling the situation. Lastly, I want to also talk about that this isn't just about money. The musicians who deal with this go through a serious psychological impact, this can lead to them not wanting to do this for a living anymore. One of the nightmare scenarios is if one of your favorite bands gets robbed and they just give up and they're never going to make another great record for you or you're never going to get to see them live again. This could be really heartbreaking to think about and this is why we have to deal with this. When it first happened, like, to, for us it was a huge burden. We really just like lost all hope. We ended up bouncing back from that. It, it actually made it stronger psychologically. Like, we are always weary of everything, which may sound stressful, but you need to be. You just need to be on top of your game, and it definitely yeah, helped in that aspect. Uh, it's just tough for a band who's, like, very small. At that time, we were a lot smaller than we, um, than we are now. But when you have that forward, like, with any business that's growing, you have that forward momentum, and you have to keep it going. And once it's halted, that makes it feel like you've lost all hope. I mean, it definitely has a, a very negative effect, especially with a band like ours. We're praying for anyone to come to these shows in the first place. You know, and sometimes, like, you know, you drive 10 hours of three people, so you're bummed. And then to come outside and see your van broken into, it's just like, how many more? Yeah, the worst. You take? Like, it, it definitely, like, just another pile of shit on top of already, like, having a rough time on a tour it never helps kind of makes you think like oh is it even worth going on tour or we're mm-hmm. just gonna get robbed again and that's a pretty sad thought to end this on but i'm confident we can beat this it's pretty easy to get involved and start solving this problem if you know of safe places for bands to stay and park make a sheet up and hand it to the local promoters and tell them that they can xerox this and hand this or email at bands when they get to town brainstorm ideas on how you can help your local community so you don't lose bands coming to the shows All this takes is a little bit of legwork and ingenuity. I would also be remiss to not point out that there are some things you can always do that are simple little hacks that that many bands don't employ. Getting a kill switch installed on your van and having it hidden somewhere is one of the smartest things you can do. This will make it so that the person robs your van, it will run out of gas a few feet later, and odds are they're just going to jump out of the car if they can't find it fast. Secondly, buy a bike lock for your steering wheel. Crooks aren't going to be expecting it, and they might not bring what they need to cut it, so that will diminish the odds of theft. A good lock for your trailer is imperative. Car alarms always work well at drawing attention to your van if somebody's breaking into it. One of the things I'd like to do is thank the contributors who made these interviews possible. Dana Reandler, Matthew Lighton, and Chase Tremaine all did great jobs getting these interviews together. And if you'd like to hear them in their raw form, you can download an episode we'll be putting up in a few days that'll have all these interviews in their raw form if you want to learn more about the bands that this happened to and hear the full conversations of the stories. 
that's something we'll be doing from time to time. And I also want to say support these bands. It takes a lot of guts to be this vulnerable and admit that you did something wrong. And all of these bands are fantastic bands and great people. And go out there, check out their music, and thank them for giving this by setting a tweet and helping spread this message. There was a lot of bands who turned down interviews about this because they didn't want to talk about it, and we're really grateful to those who did. Lastly, I'd like to thank the other off-the-record contributors who helped brainstorm the ideas for this episode, including producer Ashley Aaron, contributors Brent Martone, Casey Awald, Nick Parsons, and Victoria Hafner. For recommendations this week, I'm going to go way out of my comfort zone, and I'm actually going to recommend art. And because of this, I feel like this is the strongest recommendation I've ever made because I hate almost all printed art. But there's a guy named Simon Stalinhag who does absolutely amazing art of blending what would happen if these rusted robots kind of started taking over our society in this industrial wasteland. And it's so rare I see art and just I'm like, yes, I love this and... I just bought a lot of it. It's just really great, and there's a link in the show notes. Here's some recommendations from the contributors who did the interviews in this episode, starting with Matthew Lighton. All right, guys, so I'm going to give uh, two album recommendations. Um, the first one is Better Off's Milk, which just came out on Friday. It's their Equivision uh, debut album. It's their second full length. Um, their first record being I Think I'm Leaving, which I think was criminally underrated. Definitely flew under the radar, which is crazy because these guys have toured like Mad Men. They've been on tour with Fireworks, with, with uh, Newfound Glory, with Motion City Soundtrack. So I'm excited for them to hopefully get their due justice with this record. Um, I love that we get a kick ass alternative rock record in 2015 from a rock band a pop punk band um these guys just execute the sound so well um but they're not a jimmy world copycat by any means there's some strong influences from the starting line i hear a little bit of foo fighters definitely some brand new definitely some dinosaur pileup um aaron bali who's the producer got some just sick guitar tones for this record i listened to track one and i just want to headbang my ass off and then go run a marathon so check it out just listen to the entire thing just start a track one and just go all the way through um i think you'll really love it and i think these guys are really gonna make waves with this record um number two album i'm gonna recommend it's a deep cut it's hot water music's caution i love hot water music these guys have been referencing bukowski since the early 90s so all these newer pop punk bands that are like charles bukowski it's like dudes these guys have been doing it since the 90s so we'll learn a thing or two. Um, what I love about this record is a couple things. One, I think the opening track, Remedy, going into trusty chords is the best one-two punch of Hot Water Music's career. Uh, and on top of that, I think it's the textbook kind of Hot Water Music album because these guys have a lot of albums out, okay? And it can be really scary for somebody who's probably never listened to Hot Water Music. So this would be the album that I would show them to be like, hey, this is what these guys are about. This is that strong rhythm section with those intense Chuck Reagan vocals that I fucking love. So, check it out. Give it a listen. Um, if you like the more refined stuff, uh, you can definitely go onward from there and check out Exister or their newer stuff. Um, but if you like the more kind of edgier and kind of the more um, unrefined hot water music, then you can jump back into their older stuff and check out Feel for the Hate Game or a Flight and a Crash or just stuff like that. So, that's why I love Caution because it's just kind of a middle of the ground uh, hot water music album. And one from Dana Riandler. 
This week I'm recommending an app called Invoice to Go. It's a really, really great tool for people who do a lot of freelance work. Um, the app allows you to customize and personalize your invoices as well as to send it out directly straight from the app, so that's really cool. I'm also recommending the Tiny Desk concert session of Restorations. They're a really awesome Philly band. You should definitely check them out if you haven't already. Um, I believe the Tiny Desk session is available on YouTube as well as every other podcast client. So, yeah. And Chase Tremaine. I tend to be pretty obsessed with the year 2013. Some of my favorite art of all time came out that year. Films like Mud and Her, albums like The Greatest Generation, The Glorious Unfolding, The Silver Gymnasium. But this past week, I've been all about the film Philomena, which was written by and starring Steve Coogan, my hero. The film is heartbreaking, but also hilarious, has a great film score, and was based on a really good book. And then the album Inland by Jars of Clay, easily one of my favorite albums of all time lyrically. It's just been breaking my heart all week long. I just wrote a review of it on my website, arsbyaccident.com, where I've also just posted reviews of the new Deer Hunter and Wonder Years albums. Thanks for listening to Off The Record. If you enjoy the show, the best way to say thank you is to share this episode on social media, whether it's your Twitter, your Facebook, your Tumblr, your whatever, and just tell your friends. We just want the word to spread. If you'd like to follow us on Twitter, it's at OffTheRecordFM. You can get show notes, explore old episodes at OffTheRecord.FM. If you think we should be talking about something, please let us know with the hashtag TellOTR on Twitter or ask us via Tumblr at OffTheRecord.FM. This episode was produced by Jesse Cannon and Ashley Aaron. Thank you so much for listening. We'll be back next week.